Hello and welcome to Plotress. This is Meg. This is Lane. And today we're going to be talking about Darling Beast by Elizabeth Hoyt. You love Elizabeth Hoyt, right? Okay, She's, so I yeah. read, she is a must read for me. I don't love all of her books, but I love enough of them that when she releases something new, I will read it. Okay, so I've only read, well, we're a little ahead of you guys in terms of recording the podcast, but I've only read two and a half of her books yeah. at this point. Um, and I think, yeah. for me at least, she's a smidge angsty. Okay, so here's what I have to say. I know we have said, both uh, expressed that we don't like angsty books. I will say that in general, I don't. But I will make an exception for Elizabeth Hoyt. Mm -hmm. Her books are super angst. And I said this when I, when I gave you the first one. You I was did. Like, Just so you know, her books are like super angsty. But what they don't do is they don't have the cardinal sin of the angst coming from the relationship. That is true. All of the angst is external. Um, they, when they get together, the couples are very good together. Yes. And I think that's why I can overlook or accept all the angst. Because it is like over the top angst. Right. And I know I've talked previously about how I typically avoid books where sexual violence against women is a plot point. Mm -hmm. I don't think I've read a single... Elizabeth Hoyt book where it wasn't a plot point. Where it wasn't mentioned, yeah. At or at least, least in passing, mm -hmm. yeah. So yeah. in this one, it's not the main character. Right. But if spousal abuse, spousal rape, um, you know, a man beating his wife to death is triggering for you, this one might be over the top. Yes, it does. It, does. it doesn't happen on the page, so it's not like a current, it's not prurient interest, so it's not a scene, a, a beating scene or anything like that, but it has had an impact on one of the characters' past. Right, so we'll be discussing that in passing today, so yes. if you are completely disinterested in a book that contains that plot point, fair warning now, you might want to skip this episode. Yeah. All right, uh, so let's get right to it. This book was published in 2014, which I was actually a little surprised by. I think some of it reads to me like a slightly older one. Okay, I, I can see that. Uh, yeah, this is book, I forget, like book nine of 14 in this Maiden Lane series. Seven? Seven of 14? Seven of 14, yeah. She... she she hasn't always written these uh, extremely long series. In fact, I think this is her only extremely lengthy one. And it, it is really long. There are a lot of books in this series. The Maiden Lane? Maiden Lane. Maiden mm -hmm. Lane, yeah. And I see the books as made up of actually interlocking trilogies within like the 15 books. I guess 15, I guess within the 15 books. And this is the third trilogy in the overarching 15 books. Okay. Okay. So Lane, I have always kind of felt that they were pretty good standalones. On the other hand, I have read most of them in order, although I, I didn't read these in order, which is maybe part of why I thought, oh, it's not a big deal. But Lane did find it a little bit distracting. Yeah, there's, um, well, let's, let's read the summary okay. first and then get into it because I don't want to get starting discussing all of the characters Sounds when we good. haven't mentioned who they are. But in any case, this is, so this is the first in the interior trilogy that take place in and around Hearts Folly. Which is a pleasure card. Yes. Okay. All right. So the book jacket. Uh, a man condemned, falsely accused of murder and mute from a near-fatal beating, Apollo Greaves, Viscount Kilborn, has escaped from Bedlam. With the crown's soldiers at his heels, he finds refuge in the ruins of a pleasure garden, toiling as a simple gardener. But when a vivacious young woman moves in, he's quickly driven to distraction. A desperate woman. London's premier actress, Lily Stump, is down on her luck when she's forced to move into a scorched theater with her maid and small son. 
But she and her tiny family aren't the only inhabitants. A silent, hulking beast of a man also calls the charred ruins home. Yet when she catches him reading her plays, Lily realizes there's more to the man than meets the eye. Out of the ash, desire flares. Though scorching passion draws them together, Apollo knows that Lily is keeping secrets. When his past catches up with him, he's forced to make a choice. His love for Lily or the explosive truth that will set him free. I mean, this is... I, well, I have to say that the jacket does give a very good idea of how angsty this book is. Yes. So, like, like literally, this book is about a Viscount who escapes from Bedlam. Where he was wrongfully imprisoned for uh, murder. Obviously wrongly imprisoned. I mean, I, I mean, I don't know about you, Lane, but I wouldn't read a book about a guy who was legitimately imprisoned in Bedlam. In Bedlam. I mean... It would have to be like, yes, he killed that guy, but it was a slave trafficker who was attacking <laughs> right. his sister, and it was very right. much justifiable homicide. Right. And like... which, which wasn't the case here. No. Anyway, and then, and yes, he's mute, so he, he can't speak for the for whole entire first 50% of the book. Yeah. He, he cannot speak. Um, which makes her think he's dumb. Yeah. Like, that he's a mute from birth yeah. who doesn't understand language, not just someone whose vocal cords were right. injured. Well, and he does nothing to, he do, he purposely plays that role. Yeah. So the interesting thing here is this, the, the summary sort of makes it seem like both of their secret, secrets are equally weighty. And they are not. They're not. His no. is much more, yeah. I mean, he, he, he is on the run from Bedlam. Uh, he wants to take up the title, actually, of Viscount. He's actually not the Viscount yet in the book, so that's. I thought he is the Viscount, it's the Earl. Oh, he's Earl. going to be an Earl, excuse me. So he does hold the courtesy title of Viscount, but he's not yet the Earl, um, I believe. Yes. Anyway, so, and so, yeah, like, his secret is way worse. If he gets caught, he's going to be killed or transported. And or put then, back in Bedlam. Or put back, right, or put back in Bedlam. And then whoever's next in the line for the Who is, title, of course, of course, horrible and unacceptable. Right, so tr- trope number one there's the air, like, uh, there's never a person, okay, maybe one or two novels where the, the guy who will inherit is, is okay, but in this case, not the case, terrible, horrible guy, awful. Ugly Duchess, the guy was fine. Yeah, Ugly Duchess, the guy was fine. Few others are okay, but this one, like most of, most romance novels, the, the, the heir apparent is terrible. Yeah. So, uh, my four-word summary, because yeah, so, four was the randomly generated exactly. number. Exactly is Mute Brute Woo's Actress. I know. I'm always so impressed with Lane's because <laughs> hers are really good. Mine is, is, okay, so here's mine. Naked Lake Bath. Ah. Which, yeah. It I happens. Ca- there's, there's nothing in- incorrect. Right. I mean, look, if you read the two, if you read the book jacket and then you read Naked Lake Bath, hot, like, which one would make you more likely to read the book? Yours. That's what I'm saying. Naked Lake you Bath. Know? You know what the people want. So, yeah, as Meg was alluding to, my biggest issue so apollo who's the romantic lead in this one also do you not love the name apollo i love it guys love it and he does have a twin sister named artemis and so it's very clear from the book that artemis's love story was a previous one in the series and there's a lot of names from her family and her household yes mentioned very rapidly in scenes and they clearly all have some pretty intense backstories and they're all mentioned very quickly in passing in this one right 
and they still show up like her sister-in-law comes to Hearts Folly for lunch and it was just That's a true. little bit hard the, the A story was not really negatively affected mm-hmm. but a lot of the B plots I felt like did suffer yeah. from reading this one as a standalone I'll say one of the things that Elizabeth Hoyt does I don't think she does it very well to be completely honest but uh, fully 10 to 20 percent of the book will be setting up the next story's love story yeah so like fully 10 to 20 percent was about penelope Lady and penelope. The, her man of affairs. her bodyguard, her bodyguard. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. right which i mean it, it definitely made me want to read the next one but i don't think it adds much to the novel no, and if anything, it was a little bit distracting because I felt like I was supposed to have some of Penelope's backstory right. that I just didn't. Right. Yeah, so if you do pick up an Elizabeth Hoyt, most of them are going to have a significant portion devoted to the next novel in the series' as plot. Yes. Or, or char- not plot, but characters. Right. So just something to know. It wasn't like so distracting. I would recommend not reading it. And Meg has actually said that some of the ones in this series should actively be avoided. Well, I mean, there are some that I definitely wouldn't read again, uh, and definitely some that I would never recommend to Lane, especially since I know she doesn't like. So, like, this one, I felt like, yes, there is a backstory of violence against women, sexualized violence against women, but I didn't feel like it took so much away or was so much a part of the story that it would be, that it would be a a no deal for Lane. Yeah, so I was able to sort of deal with that there is one really weird allusion to sexual violence being committed against the hero yeah it's very odd it's very odd though so basically he's a he's mute because he was attacked in bedlam Mm -hmm. by the guards and there's in the description of his violent beating of them crushing his vocal cords of this like full altercation that leaves him potentially permanently impaired and of course why were they why did they attack him because he was defending a, a woman, woman who they were who going was, to rape. Who they were going to rape in Bedlam. So he was, the reason he was beaten was because he was being very noble. Yes. But there's just a single line where it talks about the guard reaching for his breeches. The falls of his breeches. And it's unclear if it's... You don't know if he's going to go for Apollo. You don't know if he's just going to go back to attacking the woman that he was interrupted. Right. Like it's, it, and I said, look, nothing is on the page. Like Maybe he was just going to pee. But No, it's it's very, very unclear what happens. But... A good editor would have struck that line, right? Because I, it added I, nothing. No, Apollo's already like being beaten to a pulp. He's right. already inserted himself into this noble situation, right? It added nothing except a moment of like, oh, yeah. Well, and if he's going, okay, this is going to sound maybe terrible, but if he's going to be raped, it w- would have had to have more of an ef- effect on his psyche and the rest of the book, right? It never gets mentioned again, but right. so just just something in full trigger warning spirit. Yep. That does happen. And it did distract me a little because I was confused. Um, but yeah, so clearly he's an escapee from Bedlam. Lots of angst. Yeah. She's a single mother. She's a single mother. And an actress. And, and a bastard. And an actress and a playwright hiding her, who writes under a male pseudonym. Yes. So published under her brother's name. So, I mean, I think this was an obvious allusion to Aphrobane. Okay. But, I'm, well, Aphrobane, although never, never published under a... a a, um, a pseudonym, mm-hmm. but she was England's first playwright, woman playwright, who made a living on it, and she was in the same era, so the same era with the, okay. the breeches rolls, etc. Okay. Um, so the breeches rolls, that's a role where, a, so in this time period, so the Georgian time period, the women do not, women can be actresses, um, so men are not playing women on the stage, and there's very often a subplot where the woman has to 
pretend to be a man. Especially in comedies. Yes. Yes. Oh, yes, especially in comedies. So the woman has to pretend to be a man, but really the real reason behind dressing up like a man is so that the audience, the men in the audience, could see her legs. Right. So that's like the whole point of this role. Um, not the whole point, but this was a very, very common, these breeches roles that happened mm. in these... And that's what she's known for. Yes, she's, she's known for breeches roles, and she writes as well the, the very popular plays. Right. Um, so she's, she's got some secrets, as we mentioned, a friend from her past was mistreated by her husband. Yes. And so there's still lingering effects of that relationship that she's doing her best to yeah, also keep be- on the down low. Yeah, also because the, the man who, who mistreated her friend, who was the, her friend was another actress who came from the theater community, and the man was a nobleman. Right. So I think this did have an effect when she found out that Apollo was part of the nobility that was, was a, a problem for her because yeah. she's only known noblemen to use and abuse actresses right. is sort of the implication exactly um so but so she's got like a little bit of a scandalized past but not really and i mean she, her her she, her past is not all that scandalous except for the fact that she's an actress in this time period when right and but and like she's not consciously keeping a secret from him she's keeping a secret from the whole world right but like but yeah yeah it's and several secrets, you know, uh, the fact that she's a playwright, and then some secrets about her personal life. But they're nothing that could. And but she doesn't keep the secret of her being a playwright from him, really. No. And you don't get the impression that she's consciously keeping her other secrets from him right. either. They just like aren't relevant to their situation. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, whereas his clearly being an escaped nobleman on the run. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> More implications. So another th- so, so something I actually quite liked about this book is mm. that so he is mute for I would say a good 45-50% of the entire yeah. novel he is mute he cannot speak he is able to write so they communicate through the written word and he's very funny you know they so they communicate he's also very hot he's very a hot. lot of their communicating is done via smoldering looks yes a lot of smoldering looks significant kisses he does take an amazing lake bath and like walks out of it so very much in the the spirit of pride and prejudice and darcy coming right, up out of the or lake prince of tides yes know, coming out of the ocean and i i just imagine you know slicking the hair back well because he's you, they always have to find a reason noblemen can be ripped Right? Oh, right, and not just like. But he's got a good reason. Right. So he's... most of the time, oh, they he rides every day, so of course he's got rock hard abs. No, this guy is like a full gardener and has been since his late teens. He's and... like six and a half feet tall, humongous, like carries trees around. Like I'm not even kidding. Like he literally tra- has figured out this br- groundbreaking, <laughs> get it, groundbreaking way. <laughs> Sorry, that was really funny. Um, to tra- to, tra- <laughs> to transplant um, mature trees. Right, and because the pleasure garden was burned to the ground, it needs to be rebuilt quickly. They yep. don't have time for trees to grow, so right. he's finding ways to import adult trees. Right, so he's he's intelligent and he's very um, physical. But he's brawny. Like, very brawny. He's not just fit. He's like. Like hulking. hulking. Yeah, huge. He's, which, if you are into that kind of thing, Lily is. Yeah. So. And I mean, I can't say that in real life I would be, like, super into it, but I was very invested in their relationship. He's real hot from he's, the way he's, he's described. Hot. So, um. Yeah. The, the, I also like how he's, he's not described as being handsome at all. No. Like, not at all. Like, very, you know, rough hewn, blah, blah, blah. Just very, um. Full of adrenaline, not adrenaline, testosterone. That this is, the is word something I'm that for. she's doing a lot in the Elizabeth Coit I'm currently reading, but it's in the same series. 
like the virility yes. of her heroes is yes. much more emphasized than their handsomeness. Yes, indeed. Which you know what? I I'm sure that out there in the world there are many more virile men than there are handsome men. So you know what? Props to Elizabeth Lake. I have a full theory that is way too long for this episode on the difference between sexy and hot. Okay. We'll and talk I'm sure this will come up later. So this plays into it. He is sexy as hell. Yeah. More than he is hot or handsome yeah. or any of that. Very, very much so. Yeah, and he, you know, he's the kind of guy who who saves children and dogs and puppies and women, like because he's so big and like fast, he can like pull them out of harm's way. Well, and he and... could be scary, except he's a giant marshmallow. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. Humans more. Yeah. I mean, he's. Let's be honest. He's a very appealing hero. Yes. Okay. Let's just put it out there. Very appealing hero. Yes, I was very into this. His yeah. whole personality worked. Yeah, very it was well. it was great. Um, tropes. So we already talked about the the terrible air air garbage air. Uh, we've got oh we've got the mistaken or or masked identity. Yes. So on both of their sides a little bit. So yes. obviously he's trying to keep himself from from coming out. So he's, he's got like want to be. layers of disguise. Right, right, right. All because sorts. he's masquerading as a normal gardener. Yes. But he's actually the lead designer who's yes. just leaving all of his instructions in writing. And then later when he gets his voice back, because of course he gets his voice back, then he goes to a house party at the house of his, his uncle and heir uh, where he's masquerading as just a, a normal guy out there, Mr. Brown. Yeah. Right. Smith. Mr. Smith. Oh. Okay. So he, yeah, he's masquerading as Mr. Smith. Um, so they're just like tons of these, but also keeping the fact that he's a Viscount from Lily. Right. Yeah. It's just tons and tons of different layers, layers. to his yeah. hidden identity. Whereas she's a little more just, well, she's... She's got a stage name, but yeah. it's known. So yeah, exactly. She's got a stage name because who, who, and let's be fair, she did a good job with this one. Who would go watch Lily Stump? Yeah. You know. And her, her name is Robin Goodfellow? Goodwill? Yeah, Robin, Robin Goodfellow, which is, which is, as we all know... From Shakespeare. Yes. <laughs> but yes. <laughs> um, but yes. So, so very, I mean, very cute. Um, so the uh, sexiness of this one. This, uh, this book is very sexy. It is. I, I would say, so this, and this is pretty across the board for Elizabeth Hoyt. You're going to get 50% of like smoldering sexual tension. So like chemistry is like ratcheted up. Then the second 50%, you're going to get sex scene, plot, sex scene, plot, sex scene, plot, maybe more sex, and then denouement. Yes. So there's a lot There's a lot of sex in this book. There's also, so there's, as we mentioned, she has a son and a dog. I found them a little annoying. Hmm. Like, well done, necessary to the plot, totally get it. Just like, they're cock blockers. <laughs> I mean, they are. They yeah. are, the whole time. And like, it's a little more kid and dog than I would prefer. Look, we had to get double. to 50%. But the 50%, they use the opportunity to, as Meg mentioned, have him masquerade as a normal guy at a house party where she's also performing as an actress, ditch the whole retinue of hers, yeah. and then just bone all over the house. Yeah, like and it's everywhere. In the gardens. In, in her this, bedroom. In this little room off the theater. Yeah, yeah. Where the table, that was very good. While outside, the, uh, the rest of the troupe is rehearsing. Yes. So, like, very hot. Very like keep it down, right? <laughs> I will. So, and then another, I guess, slight warning about Elizabeth Hoyt is that her language in the sex scenes is very frank. Yes. Very explicit. Yeah. If you're not interested in like dirty talk or even like graphic, there's no euphemism here. Right. It yes. is 
explicit what is happening. Body parts are called by their names. Mm -hmm. The characters talk to each other very frankly. Yes. So keep that in mind. Keep in mind that a big portion of this book is sex. Yeah, and so I wouldn't... um, if you're reading this like on a on a chair next to your elementary school age child, mm-hmm. maybe don't. Yeah. Unless you're ready to have some like real conversations. Yeah. About birds and bees. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it is in a garden, so Yeah. You can you can get by with that. Yeah. Really like thick trees as a euphemism. <laughs> oh, <my. laughs> oh, another so another like extended metaphor in the book is this the the labyrinth. Yes. So he is, of course, the minotaur, the gar- the the um, monster in the garden. Yeah. In the maze. So he, I mean, he is monstrous, living in a garden. So it's I mean, it's not exactly a hidden metaphor here. So there's no. that. And, and then the point, you know, like the way she structures her books is she puts like a small paragraph from the story that she's referencing mm-hmm. at the beginning of each chapter. Yes. And so like we're not reading into this. No, like, no She this makes is... it very clear that the story that she's simultaneously telling is a revamp of Theseus and the Minotaur. Yes. Oh yeah. And it's not, I mean, it's, it's not at all a, a secret. And then, you know, like at the garden, excuse me, at the house party, the garden in the house party has a labyrinth with a Minotaur statue in it a statue in it so like there's no there's nothing hiding they do this. have sex on it <laughs> well I don't know if it's on the statue but it's in, in the vicinity, vicinity of, the st- of the statue yes indeed um, it is just to like drive the point home yeah both both <laughs> in case you were wondering he's a minotaur okay and he's like a bull physically FYI yes um, but yeah, so very frank language, but over, like super hot. Yeah. Super hot. And like, yeah. the, she's good at sexual tension. Yeah. It's part of what makes me able to look past some of her more angst given ridden tendencies. Mm-hmm. Because like, I know the payoff is there. It's already is there. <laughs> you can't miss it. All right. Uh, so offensiveness, other than the stuff I've already talked about, like the passing references to sexual violence, yeah. I, nothing's really popping out to me. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's, I don't think there's really any issues with like inequality in their relationship, even though there could be. I mean, he's a viscount, she's an actress. He's so low when she meets him, though, mm-hmm. in hiding and everything. And he, and, and in certain books, this could annoy me. He really treats his status as if it's no big deal. Yeah, but I think it's because he has had these experiences. Like he did go to Bedlam. He ha- is on the run. He has actually worked as a gardener. He's not someone pretending to be a gardener, right? You know. And so he's just not that phased by the fact that she's right. And he's he doesn't he is not gonna give one single shit whether she makes an actual viscountess or not. Like he's right. like yeah, you know, I lived in Bedlam. Who cares who I married? Basically, you know. Well, and the other thing I really liked about this one, and I said this in passing to you, their respective virginities do not come into play in this book at all. Not at all. In a way that is really refreshing. Yeah. There are no thoughts about previous relationships, Mm -hmm. previous lovers, previous Mm -hmm. anything. They both clearly have had them, Mm -hmm. and they don't come into relevance at all. So, like, there's really no jealousy plot. Mm -hmm. There's no, like, weird Victorian, well, in this case, Georgian, moral, like pervading the situation and you know I've been saying Georgian but I I think it's restoration era because I think Georgian comes later so I apologize my English history is not that amazing I can't remember what year it takes place in to know off the top of my head which one it is um pre-regency yes I believe it is restoration 
Okay, sure. The plays are Restoration Era. Yes. That's all I know. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's... It, it, the play, the romance is really just about the two of them, which mm-hmm. is really refreshing. Yeah. Even a lot of romance novels I like, the purity of the female yes. is a paramount importance. And oh, in this it's one, very it's important. Like, yeah. This woman's reputation is, I'm an actress, whatever. Yeah, exactly. And She's like, so I'm an fun. actress, I do what I want. You yeah. Know? And she does whatever she wants. And it's really good, you and, guys. And she wants Apollo. So that's all I'm going to say about that. And there is no... There's no angst about should they hook up. No, not at There's all. There's angst about like will this work with you as a nobleman right. and me as a common actress. Right. But that's I mean that's But that's not going to stop anybody from doing anything. No. No, no. And it does not. <laughs> it doesn't. So if you didn't get the hint from what we've been saying, there's a lot of sex in this book. Yeah, I think we were subtle. Yeah. So it might they might have missed Just it. Just so you know. Okay. Good sex, though. So, highly recommended. Um, like we said, Angstown, USA. Yes. I guess Angstown, Britain. Angst, yeah, Angstown, London. Angstown, London. But if you can get past the angst and the passing descriptions of assault slash maybe molestation. Yeah. I mean, definitely. Okay, this. Uh, I'm not ending it on this note. No, but like, those are the only potential pitfalls. Otherwise, very good book. Really fun characters. If you're into big, hulking brutes. He is a prototype of it. Mm-hmm. And and very practical women. Yes. As well. She's she's very practical. She doesn't take she didn't take any crap from anyone, which I really liked. Yes. Without ever being hard. Right. And not that, that would be a problem. No. But like but a lot of times women who take no crap in romance novels are hardened to life. And she's totally mm-hmm. not. Oh yeah, no. She's very open to love and romance and all those good things. So anyway, Lily and Apollo. <laughs> Lily and Apollo. Go check it out. So thank you so much for listening. As usual, we would greatly appreciate it if you would rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And we will be talking to you soon. Sounds good. Talk to you later. Bye. Hello, and welcome to Patrice. Uh, This is Meg. This is Lane. And we're just bringing you a special Happily Ever After epilogue about Darling Beast. So we recorded the Darling Beast episode, oh gosh, two years ago? Like two years ago. It was one of our first episodes. And one of your first Elizabeth Hoyts. And I hadn't read the rest of the series at the time we released the Darling Beast episode. I think I'd only read Winter's book. Right. And I was like, you'll be fine. Reader, I was not fine. Um, But so I think we just wanted to talk a little bit about how our thoughts and feelings may have changed or any additional insights that I gleaned from actually having read the rest of the series. Yeah. I mean, I remember in that original episode, you were definitely like, I feel like I would have gotten more out of it if I knew more about Artemis and Maximus and Apollo's backstory. Yes. So now that you have that, and now that you've reread Darling Beast, do you, do you think that you did get more out of it? Yeah. Yeah. Trevelyan and Artemis and like that whole thing, Meg, all of that, I had no idea what was really going on. Yeah. But I mean, did it really make that much of an impact? I guess. Yes. Yes. Having emotional investment in like the main B plot. Yes. It made a huge difference. Oh, you mean Phoebe? Yes. Phoebe and Trevelyan? Oh, okay. Yes. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. When 
when Apollo is tackled by this guy, and you're like, especially because this is the book where you find out Trevelyan, Trevelyan was left disabled. Uh huh. Because like it's a fade to black. He's still like hurt and recovering at the end of the last book. So like that had huge emotional impact that I just didn't realize. I just figured this guy had always left for the cane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You didn't realize he lost his job. He lost his job. Yep. He's di- permanently disabled. Now he's got this job that he obviously feels is a little bit pitying. Right. Right. Exactly. But he still is like, I'm going to do it as well as I can. That whole plot meant nothing to me the first read through. And it was like, I liked it a lot, actually. I like it a lot, too. I really like Trevelyan, so. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I stand by my statement of this is not a great place to start. (laughs) Okay. Um, another thing you said uh, in the episode the first time was that you thought that the so there are some elements of domestic abuse and then uh, Apollo reflects back on his time in Bedlam and possible sexual abuse. And at the time that you read it, so the first time you read it, you were like, that was way too much for me. It's too dark. Has have your feelings on that changed? It's still darker than I like, and it's still... I really don't like the mysterious reflection trying not to think about the obvious thing. Mm -hmm. And this book is so guilty of that, both with Robin trying not to think about her friend and Apollo trying not to think about Bedlam, and I I was still really frustrated by that, this read-through. That said, obviously, having read the rest of Elizabeth Hoyt's oeuvre, or at least more of it, this isn't as dark as it could be. It's still darker than I want it to be, but it's, I, 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 say, I know I would never say that this is fluffy, but like, honestly, I feel like this trilogy of hers is one of the ones with there, there's still a lot of darkness, right? But compared with the rest of the full 12 book series, I feel like this three book arc is, is more, I don't even know, like it's not fluffier and it's, it's not like less engaging but i feel like there's less tension between the protagonists between the two the hero and heroine right because i would actually argue some of the trauma i think is worse Mm -hmm. in like this book apollo and robin have a lot of trauma that has been done to them and that they have personal nightmares about we're like winter has nightmares about the babies he couldn't save right like it's just a very different kind of dark yeah. And I really, I don't like it when my hero and heroine are this haunted because mm-hmm. it breaks my heart too much. Like, it's not right. that it's not good. It's that, like, it's too much for me. But I agree with what you're saying. Like, the circumstances, like, just not taking place in St. Giles. <laughs> it's true. Like, even though they're in this burnt down, you know, pleasure garden that there's no actual building there or anything like that. There's no inherent danger in where they're living, right? It's not like an everyday they're looking by, looking over their shoulders and trying to survive. Again, even though Lily is like super poor and Apollo doesn't even have a bed, there's this moment where they're like looking at the stars and Apollo says, we're the only people in London who can see this right now. And it does feel like they're separated from all of that violence and all of that darkness. I feel like Hearts Folly, even burned down, feels like a Kincaid painting. Mm, yes. 
like just pops of real vibrant colors and something idyllic and escapist. Yeah. Which is fun. So it's, it's very weird because I stand by their individual stories are still like way too much, but the overall tone of the book is like light for a Hoyt. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. It does. It feels lighter. I think, I think that's the word. Yeah. So again, the first time that we reviewed this book, we rated it a three primarily because Lane was like, this was too dark. I couldn't handle it. Would you raise that rating at this point in time? Probably to a four. I still, it's still too dark for me. It's still way too dark for me, but I think I've stopped dark docking white points for being too dark. Right. I just like, I, the fight's gone out of me. Like you just have to say, if I'm going to read this, I have to weigh it on his own merits. Exactly. Like, I think right. that's where I've gotten. It's not that my opinion on the book itself has changed or the experience of reading it, but I now understand and expect certain things of Hoyt. And like, I can't be mad at her for delivering on expectations. That's true. So hope you guys enjoy the re-release of the episode and the rest of the Maiden Lane series as we continue to read through it. Bye.